Jeremiah 23. Now, this is the the third week in this chapter. We're going to close it tonight. Uh, So we'll begin our study in verse 25. Let me read a few verses and we'll pray and uh, get started in our study. Jeremiah 23, verse 25 says, I have heard what the prophets have said who prophesy lies in my name, saying, I have dreamed, I have dreamed. How long will this be in the heart of the prophets who prophesy lies? Indeed, they are prophets of the deceit of their own heart, who try to make my people forget my name by their dreams which everyone tells his neighbor, as their fathers forgot my name for Baal. The prophet who has a dream, let him tell a dream. And he who has my word, let him speak my word faithfully. What is the chaff to the wheat, says the Lord? Is not my word like a fire, says the Lord? And like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. Shall we pray? Our Father and our God, we come before your throne of grace this evening in the precious name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We pray, Father, for those that are struggling this evening struggling with burdens, illnesses, pains, and suffering. I'm sure that in this room, in every heart, there is someone that we are praying for, someone we care deeply for. We ask tonight, Lord, For the power of your Holy Spirit to reach out to each and every one of those that may be upon our hearts tonight. That need your touch. That need your healing. That need your strength and your deliverance. We pray, Father, this evening for our church. We ask for the guidance of your Holy Spirit to lead us. That we ourselves, would God, God, would be led by your truth and by your spirit. As we are to worship in spirit and in truth, may we ground ourselves, Lord God, in these things. We pray, Father, for our country. We pray, Father, for the needs that we have as a nation. For we know that as we look at your word, you judge the nations, especially those who will turn greatly from you. Today, Father, we find ourselves in need of of a moving of your spirit upon your church in this nation to stand for truth and righteousness and holiness. And justice. 
We pray for the peace of Jerusalem as you have commanded us to pray for the peace of the very heart of Zion, the very heart that you have said is where your heart is. We pray for your people, Israel. We pray, Father, for their guide, for their protection and your guidance upon them. And we ask, Father, for the direction of your Spirit as we study your word this evening. That we not only rightly divide your word, but, Lord, that your word itself would be written upon our hearts and our minds and remind us. May it remind us, Lord. of how precious and serious your word is, especially in these last days. You grant us wisdom and understanding through your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In our last study, there was a tremendous indictment that was laid against the prophets of Judah during Jeremiah's prophetic service. These prophets had never stood in the secret counsels of the Lord. In other words, they had never really sought the Lord's guidance. They had never really sought the Lord's light. They had never really desired the Word of God in their lives. Now we're talking about priests and prophets. And as we have mentioned in the last few weeks, The last four kings of of Judah were wicked kings. They wanted religion. They had religion. They wanted to keep their own religion, but they also wanted to embrace the religions of the other nations. And they did, the pagan gods, especially the god Baal or Baal. So these prophets had never stood in that secret counsel of the Lord. They, they had only gone through the, the motions of spirituality, as we saw last time, learning their traditions, their rites, their rituals, their ceremonies. And yet this was placed second in their priorities to the dictates of their own hearts. And I gave an example last week of a certain segment of what is called the church. And how their eyes and their hearts are not toward the God of the Bible, but to a God of their own making. The dictates of their own heart. They may boast of numbers uh, or numbers of degrees on the wall. From seminaries. But they have no trust in the Lord. They don't believe in the Word of God. They don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus. They don't believe in the virgin birth of Christ. They don't believe in the power of the blood, atonement of Christ for the sins of men. So why do they even want to call themselves Christian? Interesting, isn't it? But what was happening in the days and times of Jeremiah is happening today. But in effect, they failed to listen to and to fully accept the whole counsel of God's Word then and now. 
I think of what we read last week in verses 18 through 22. For who has stood in the counsel of the Lord and has perceived and heard his word? Who has marked his word and heard it? Behold, a whirlwind of the Lord has gone forth in fury, a violent whirlwind. It will fall violently on the head of the wicked. The anger of the Lord will not turn back until he has executed and performed the thoughts of his heart. In the latter days, you will understand it perfectly. I have not sent these prophets, yet they ran. I have not spoken to them, yet they prophesied. But if they had stood in my counsel and had caused my people to hear my words, then they would have turned them from their evil way and from the evil of their doings. The point is this. If they had actually stood in God's counsel, they would have proclaimed God's word and the people would have repented of their sins, changed their evil behavior, and obeyed God's commandments. Instead, their real intentions had surfaced. And what were those real intentions? They were out to obtain followers. They wanted followers for themselves. They were out to obtain followers, people who would be loyal to them and their beliefs. God knew that they were attaching people to themselves by turning them away from Him and away from His Word. Tragically, the false teachers proclaimed a popular message that made it easy for people to be religious. And still follow the sinful ways of the world. Thus, by listening to the false teachers and the prophets, the people became attached to false religions. Accepted false teachings about God and denied His word. They refused to obey God's commandments and they lived sinful lives. But back in verses 23 and 24, the Lord made it clear that He alone was the true authority. He alone was the true authority. And along with what we will see in our text, He alone has the right to say who could preach His word and minister to His people. The claim of the false prophets could not stand up under God's, under God's scrutiny. All the claims of all those false prophets couldn't stand up to God's judgment of what was being said. No matter what their sins were, the Lord saw their wicked behavior. Besides, He heard them claim to speak in His name and, and receive their messages or dreams from Him. That was their claim. We got a dream from the Lord. Well, listen to what it says in verse 25. I've heard what the prophets have said who prophesy lies in my name. Now, this is what God is saying about what the prophets were saying. I have heard what the prophets have said who prophesy lies in my name, saying, I have dreamed, I have dreamed. How long will this be in the heart of the, of the prophets who prophesy lies? Indeed, they are prophets of the deceit of their own heart, who try to make my people forget my name by their dreams, which everyone tells his neighbor as their fathers forgot my name for Baal. Now the content of this oracle, as it were. And by the way, tonight we're going to, underst we're going to understand what an oracle is. An oracle, at least here in the Old Testament, an oracle 
is a burden of the Lord. It is a heavy burden. Primarily, this is what an oracle is. A word, a burden from God to the people. And the content of this particular oracle that is being given in this last part of chapter 23 is actually rooted in Deuteronomy 13. So I want you to turn to Deuteronomy 13 and look at verses 1 through 5. Because there are some very significant statements made in Deuteronomy that we see also being made in the book of Jeremiah. If there arises among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams. Notice the connection. Now, I don't know if you've been with us long enough, but uh, if you've been with us any good amount of time in the book of Jeremiah on Wednesday nights, you realize that a lot of the things that Jeremiah is bringing up We trace back to the book of Deuteronomy, the second reading of the law, the fifth book of the Torah, the first five books of Moses. And so what was given in that particular book is what substantiates much of what we see concerning the word given by God to the prophet to the people. So here it says, if there arises among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams, and he gives you a sign or a wonder. And the sign or the wonder comes to pass. Of which he spoke to you saying, let us go after other gods. Notice. Which you have not known. And let us serve them. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. In other words, if, if this is what they're saying, I received a dream from the Lord, I received a word from God, and, and it, it came in a dream or it came from the Lord in, in this particular way, and it's telling us that we can go after other gods, that we can go and serve them. He says, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. I said, that's pretty clear. If anyone stands up and tells you to begin to worship any other gods than the one true God, then you do not listen to that prophet. Even if he says, I got a dream from the Lord. I mean, you could go all the way uh, forward from that point, even to Paul in the book of Galatians. When he says, if anyone... Even an angel comes to you and gives you any other gospel, then he's anathema. He's to be accursed. So we have to see the the strength of this whole thought that God is giving concerning his word. And everybody comes and says, I've got God's word, and this is what God's word says. Let's go serve other gods. That's not from the Lord. God's testing you. There are tests that God puts before us. God never tempts us, but He tests us. And then He says, You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear Him. Now we begin to see the pattern that He that he has chosen for his people to follow, to walk after him, to fear him, 
to keep His commandments, obey His voice, and you shall serve Him and hold fast to Him. Just Him. No one else. Verse 5, But that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death. This is how serious it was to be preaching any other God than the God of Israel. That prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he has spoken in order to turn you away from the Lord your God. Who brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of bondage to entice you. Now I want you to notice the strong language is being used here. In order to turn you away from the Lord, to entice you from the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk. Now what has happened to Israel up to this point in Deuteronomy? They had seen God. He was the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. They had seen the power of God. They had seen what God had done in bringing them out of Egypt and delivering them from that bondage of, of, of uh, slavery, I should say, into salvation, delivering them, bringing them to a land that would be flowing with milk and honey. They saw what God could do when they needed bread, when they needed water. God provided constantly. But what he provided more than anything else was the evidence of who he was. The evidence of his power. The evidence of his might. The evidence of his care. The evidence of his concern for his people. But to have to say to them, if someone says to you to follow other gods and to turn you away from the Lord your God, to entice you from the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk, that person needs to be put to death. That is God's justice. And the last phrase of verse 5 says, So you shall put away the evil from your midst. Now what's the difference in all of that that is being said with what is taking place even in our day and time with people saying, Look, you don't need just Jesus. You can have Jesus if you want, but you can have Jesus plus any and many other types of things. Besides, we don't really know, they'll say, we, we, we don't really know if he was really born of a virgin. Does that really matter? Does it really matter that, that, you know, that he died on a cross uh, and, and, and rose again from the dead? I mean, does it really matter? By God and by his word, yes, it does matter. Because of all those hidden agendas that people have underlying their, their liberal views of the scriptures, they're just trying to say, listen, don't be so dogmatic. Don't be so old-fashioned. You have to believe every word in the Bible. I'm sorry, but I believe every word in the Bible. I hope you do. So the same thing is happening today that was happening 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 years ago. 
The dreamer prophet is condemned to death for leading the people away from God and His law. In the case of the prophets of Jeremiah's time, these were condemned for advertising their own dreams as revelations from God Himself. I want you to compare this with Zechariah's prophecy in Zechariah chapter 10, verse 2. For the idols speak delusion, the diviners envision lies, and tell false dreams. Really talking about the same people. They tell false dreams. They comfort in vain. Therefore the people wend their way like sheep. They, they are in trouble because there is no shepherd. They're hearing all of these prophecies. Oh, listen, God's going to be okay. He's going to be with you. He's going to, he's going to take care of you. There'll be peace. You don't have to worry about things. And all along, the true prophets of God are saying, no, you need to get right with God. You need to quit worshiping idols. And you need to realize that if you don't, these nations, are, or, or this particular nation, in this case Babylon, is going to come out against you and destroy you and take you into captivity. And God's going to allow it because you have disobeyed Him and because you have rebelled against Him. But they're telling lies and telling false dreams. They're comforting people in vain. By the way, the lies that are mentioned in our text refer to the quality of the words spoken by the false prophets. That's the quality of their word. All they can tell is lies. They were teaching the delusions of their own minds, and the character of these false prophets was based on those lies and deceits. And again, their deception was apparent because their goal was to draw the people into idolatry with their fanciful dreams, leading people to forget God and to follow Baal. Now, it's important to note that throughout the Scriptures, God spoke through dreams. God did speak through visions. Happened with Abraham. You know, we can go down the list a lot of people that received visions and dreams from God. That's not unusual. And while the Deuteronomy passage that we read earlier provided a warning and really a discouragement in heeding the words of false prophets. There are two verses of Scripture that seem inconsistent with this discouragement. And I want to point them out to you. First of all, look at Numbers chapter 12, verse 6. It says, And he said, Hear, hear now my words, If there is a prophet among you, I the Lord make myself known to him in a vision. I speak to him in a dream. And then there is... Another statement later on in Joel, chapter 2, verse 28. Most of you are familiar with this particular verse. It says, And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will, shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. Now, what's noteworthy about this, these are just two verses here. But what's noteworthy is that the first of these refers to the primitive period the primitive period of Israel's history. Early, early on in Israel's history. And the second one is to the distant Messianic age. So before there were the, the, the age of the prophets, and after the age of the prophets, as it were. In other words, prophecy in its classical period. The classical period of prophecy being during the times of the prophets. Of course, there were prophets 
in Israel early on. But we're talking about Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and, and Daniel and then all the rest of the minor prophets. But prophecy in that classical period kept itself diligently and pers- perseveringly detached and distant from a field on which it had s- such compromising company. In other words, false prophets. It kept itself distant from the false prophets as described for us in Ecclesiastes chapter 5 or 7. For in the multitude of dreams and many words, there is also vanity. Ecclesiastes 5, 7. For in the multitude of dreams and many words, there is also vanity. But fear God. Fear God. So there's a question that is asked for us and to the people. In verse 26, it says, How long will this be in the heart of the prophets who prophesy lies? How long? It's an interesting question as it's phrased in the, King, in the New King James Version. How long will this be in the heart of the prophets who prophesy lies? In other words, a little bit more literal would be to say, How long shall this be their purpose to prophesy lies to God's people? How long shall this be their purpose? So we're discovering then that this is their purpose. It is to lie to God's people about God. You see, they weren't just speaking prophet to prophet. They weren't just trying to change the minds of other prophets, but prophet to his fellow man and prophet to his neighbor, that they would forget God's name to follow Baal. They wanted to change the culture of God's people. They wanted to change the spiritual nature of God's people. They wanted to change what God had given to His people as the rule of faith and practice for their worship of their God. That is what they were trying to do. And may I say to you, that is what others, false prophets and false teachers are trying to do today. Change God's Word. Change God's ways of worshiping Him. And in the next passage, we are given the opportunity to compare the messages of the false prophets to those of the true prophets of God. So let's look at verse 28. It says, The prophet who has a dream, let him tell a dream. Now here's the contrast. The prophet who has a dream, let him tell a dream. And he who has my word, let him speak my word faithfully. So if there's one who has a dream, let him tell a dream. If there's one who teaches the Word, let him teach the Word. What is the chaff to the wheat? Now immediately, he makes that distinction of how different they are. What is the chaff, speaking of the dreamer of dreams, to the wheat? What is the chaff to the wheat? What is the straw to the grain? 
I don't know about you, but if I go to a sandwich shop and I want to eat healthy, I'm going to ask for whole wheat bread. I don't, never heard anybody go in and say, would you give me some of that whole straw? Because that's what the chaff is. It's just straw. More literally, it, it, is, it is just that outside uh, of, the, of the kernel of, of grain that is of no use. Once it's broken and, and it's off the grain itself, that's cast up into the wind and it blows away. But it's called straw. That's the comparison. God is saying, do you want straw or do you want grain? What is the chaff to the wheat, says the Lord? Then he says in verse 29, is not my word like a fire? Because where was the chaff going to end up? In the fire. The chaff, the straw was going to end up in the fire. Is not my word like a fire, says the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces? Therefore, behold, I am against the prophet, says the Lord, who steals, who steal my words, every one from his neighbor. Behold, I am against the prophets, says the Lord, who use their tongues and says, or use, the, use their tongues and say, he says. In other words, well, this is what God's saying. When God isn't saying it at all. Behold, I am against those who prophesy false dreams, says the Lord, and tell them and cause my people to err by their lies and by their recklessness. Yet I did not send them or command them, therefore they shall not profit this people at all, says the Lord. So it is certainly evident that the false prophets and the priests failed to preach and to teach God's word. Their messages didn't come from the same source as the messages preached by the true prophets. The messages preached by the false prophets were nothing more than the dreams of their own minds. That's all it was. Comparing their messages to those of true prophets, as we've done already, was like comparing straw to grain, chaff to wheat. Their straw messages, their straw messages did not feed the people. Straw doesn't taste good. Maybe to horses, maybe to donkeys, but it doesn't taste good to us. It's been said that if you have to choose... It's been said that if you have to choose between going to a meeting where there are prophecies and visions, where that's all you hear it, and everybody getting up and giving prophecies and visions, if you, if you choose between going to a meeting where there are prophecies and visions or where the Word of God is being taught, the encouragement would be to offer learning the Word. Now, it's not to say that God does not give prophetic word or utterance. But there again, there has to be order, as we see in 1 Corinthians. Everything that is said has got to be said in accordance to God's word. So neither should contradict the other. The problem here, of course, is that the, the false prophets, all they were saying and all they were leading everybody to understand was that if they were worshiping other idols, that's okay. They can do that and they can still go on, uh, on Sabbath and, and, and offer their sacrifices to the Lord. 
And God says, that is not what I call my people to do. The Word of God is like a fire that purifies and cleanses the human heart. First of all, God's Word is going to purify by getting rid of the chaff, getting rid of that which is of no value. But the fire of God, I mean, we're told in, uh, four times in the Scriptures of, a, uh, of the fact that God is a consuming fire. Well, you know, he's not out to consume his own people, but he is out to consume that which, which hinders us from, from worshiping the one true God and from serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Because the phrase, our God is a consuming fire, is found in both Old and New Testament. So fire is something that purifies and cleanses the heart. God's word is also like a hammer. As it's described here, a hammer that breaks the hard rock of the human heart. And I would almost have to think that a good number of us here, if we were to give our testimonies right now, we would have to say, at one time in our lives, we had a very hard heart against God, hard heart against the things of God. Until the hammer of God's word came and broke us. gave us a new heart, a soft heart, a heart that was like flesh that was beating and alive. We would have never been able to have been saved. We've never been able to be saved. It was the work of Jesus Christ. The hammer of God's word breaks the hard rock of a human heart, stirring people to confess and to repent of their sins. Already we've seen in Jeremiah that the Lord tells him that the word he will speak will be like fire. We can go all the way back to Jeremiah 5.14. Just as a point of reminder to you, there it says, Therefore thus says the Lord God of hosts, Because you speak this word, behold, I will make my words in your mouth fire. And this people would, and it shall devour them. You remember not too long ago in Jeremiah 20 verse 9. Or Jeremiah really having a hard time with God because of everything that he has had to tell his people. And he says there in verse 20, uh, uh, chapter 20, verse 9, Then I said, I will not make mention of him, nor speak any more in his name. Jeremiah says, I've had enough. I'm not going to speak God's word anymore. I'm not going to prophesy anymore. But notice what it goes on to say, but his word. Jeremiah says, but his word was in my heart like a burning fire. Shut up in my bones. I was weary of holding it back and I could not. That's how powerful God's word is as a fire. And it had to burn away the impurities that were in Jeremiah's own heart and mind. And the way he was thinking about what was happening. And and, and all of that to surrender to what God already knew. What was right and what was good. And what needed to be done and what needed to be said. His word was in my heart like a burning fire. And as for God's word being like a hammer, in Jeremiah 19, verse 11, Say to them, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Even so I will break this people and this city as one breaks a potter's vessel. 
We spent a good amount of time talking about the potter and the way that a potter reworks and reworks and reshapes a vessel. But it has to be broken. As one breaks a potter's vessel, it cannot be made whole again, and they shall bury them in Tophet till there is no place to bury. Now the difference between the chaff and the wheat in the New Testament can be seen in the words of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 3, verses 10 through 15. Paul says, According to the grace of God which was given to me, as a wise master builder, I have... I have laid the foundation, and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now stop there for just a moment and think about this. There is no other foundation that anyone can lay than that which is already laid. That's Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ alone, Jesus Christ Himself, is not only the chief cornerstone, but He is the foundation for the church. He is the foundation for the Christian walk. He is the foundation for the Christian life. There is no other foundation, and there is nothing that needs to be added to Jesus to make it better. Jesus, by Himself, can handle being the foundation for the whole church. So Paul says, no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Again, and I've said this many times, it is not Jesus Christ and Joseph Smith. It is not Jesus Christ and Charles Taze Russell. In other words, it's not Jesus Christ and the the Mormon church. It's not Jesus Christ and Jehovah's Witnesses. Those were the two main leaders of those two organizations. Is not Jesus Christ and Mary Baker Eddy from Christian Science. Which is interesting because Christian Science is neither Christian nor science. If you do a study of it. And is not Jesus Christ plus any other prophet or any other person? It's not Jesus Christ and Buddha. It's not Jesus Christ and Sung Myung Moon. It's Jesus and Jesus Christ alone the foundation for the church. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation, all right, there's the foundation. But if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw, do you see a difference there from the first three to the last three? Each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire. Ah, fire again. The fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Now, I don't want to go into any great detail about this, but all I can say is that if you put gold, silver, precious stones to the fire, all they become is more precious. Why? Because any impurities will be burned off of them, and that will be what you build upon the foundation of Christ. The gold, silver, and precious stones of your life. Now in our lives there is also wood, hay, and stubble. Or wood, hay, and straw. Or wood, hay, and 
chaff. When the fire comes, does any of that stay? Not at all. Wood burns. Hay burns. Chaff burns away. What are we building on the foundation of Christ? Is there an excellence in your ministry? Is there an excellence in your life? And this is not anything to boast about. This is just saying, I'm going to surrender my life to Jesus Christ. I'm going to live for Him. I'm going to submit to Him. I'm going to humble myself because in humbling myself, He will exalt me in due time. Jesus turns the whole picture upside down. In effect, He's really turning it right side up. We don't get exalted in this life. We humble ourselves because Christ is to be exalted. But in in time, He exalts us. This ain't the time. I'd rather He be exalted. He loves us. He cares for us. He takes care of us. Provides for our needs. What more do we want? So because they weren't hearing from the Lord, the false prophets listened to what the prophet down the street was saying and gave forth a message as if it was, if it were the, his own. In other words, that's, that's what the Lord is saying there when it talks about stealing. Verse 30, Therefore, behold, I am against the prophet, says the Lord, who steal my words, every one from his neighbor. Saying it's his message. I hear guys on TV all the time. I've got a message for you. Well, I hope it's a message from God because if it's not, then I'm, not, I'm going to just shut you off. I don't need to hear anything that comes from you. I want to hear something that comes from the Lord. And God's people weren't benefiting. You see, they weren't benefiting from them in the least. Look at verses 30 through 32. See. Tells us there in verse 32, they didn't benefit from it. How many people, listen, how many people are claiming promises of God that God has never said? How many people are claiming promises from God that God never said? God wants to make you rich. God wants to make you prosperous. God wants to give you any number of things in this life. God does talk about giving us riches. But where does Jesus tell us those riches are? Because they're in heaven. And if your treasures are in heaven, that's where your heart should be. For where your treasures are, there your heart will be also. In this life, that's what we got. They like to tell you they've dreamed it. They got a dream. I got a dream the other day. Oh, the Lord showed me all this stuff. Really? Does it fit with this word? Many teachers are reckless in what they teach people. Things that are not found in God's word. And God says, if you follow after those that are teaching these lies, you'll not profit from them. They're worthless in regards to your spiritual growth. And in the end, you'll be left empty. 
in the end? What is there? I think I've said this many times before as well, that, you know, God has indeed blessed us. God has blessed us richly in this life. God has prospered many people. And those that are believers in Jesus Christ, whom He has prospered, have learned from God's Word that it is better to give than to receive. Words that come straight from God's mouth and Christ's mouth to the ears and the heart of the Apostle Paul. It's better to give than to receive. And we learn to give. And we learn to give as Jesus taught us in the Sermon on the Mount. The left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing. That's the way that it's supposed to be in the church. So we don't put out, you know, some kind of a big board out there. Look who gave the most today. Because if we did that, then you just got your reward here on this earth. But we didn't help you get a reward in heaven. See, I want you to be blessed. I want God to bless you. I want the windows of heaven to be open for you. So we don't boast on what you do. We, we let you trust in the Lord to tell you what to give when it comes to the issue of giving in the church. We don't tell you. We don't take an offering at the end of the service. Somebody comes and hands, nobody's come and handed me a note and says, we need to take a second offering. We didn't get enough the first time. You know that this happens in churches? We have to take another offering. Well, people you didn't give like God wants you to give. No, like you want them to give. And you know what? We have bills to pay here. We've got to go through all, the, the, all that. We, we have to keep things going here to make sure that we can continue to provide a place for God's Word to be preached. But we're not going to pound you over the head over, you know, for it. We're going to trust that you will be mature enough to listen to what God is saying. But listen to what He's saying, please. <laughs> listen. They'll even take a third offering if they have to. We don't do that. Please understand. We want you to grow spiritually. God will take care of the rest. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, Jesus said. And all these things shall be added unto you. Jeremiah 23, let's go on, verse 33. So when these people, or the prophet or the priest, ask you, saying, What is the oracle of the Lord? Here, here's that word oracle. What is the oracle of the Lord? You shall then say to them, What oracle? (laughs) You want a literal translation? Alright, here's the literal translation. So when these people, or the prophet or the priest, ask you, saying, What is the burden of the Lord? Because remember, the oracle is the burden of the Lord. What is the burden of the Lord? You shall say to them, you're the burden. That's exactly what it says. You're the burden. I will even forsake you, says the Lord. And as for the prophet and the priest and the people who say, The oracle of the Lord, I will even punish that man in his house. 
Thus every one of you shall say to his neighbor and every one to his brother, What has the Lord answered? And what has the Lord spoken? And the oracle of the Lord you shall mention no more. For every man's word will be his oracle. Every man's word will be his burden. For you have perverted the words of the living God, the Lord of hosts, our God. By the way, this is, this is revealing a mockery of God's word that the prophets and the priests were doing. They were mocking God's word. It was as if they were saying, So, Jeremiah, what's the heavy burden from the Lord today? And the prophet's answer to these false prophets and priests is given again by the Lord Himself. You are the burden, and I will cast you off and even forsake you, saith the Lord. You're the burden. You are the oracle. And if the false prophet or a priest or even one of the people say, the oracle or the burden of the Lord, the Lord would punish that man in his household. In other words, God would punish anyone who claimed any other burden than that which he had already given. God gave burdens. Read the, you, know, you can read in, in some of the beginnings of, of the prophecies, like Nahum's prophecy begins the burden of the Lord, as it were. But that was given by God. But if people trusted in the Lord, would there be any burden? Listen carefully. If people trusted in the Lord, would there be any burden whatsoever? If people obeyed God and lived for God, would there be a burden whatsoever? What did Jesus say to the people who had no shepherds? He said to them, Come unto me. All you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. And you shall find rest for your souls, for my burden is easy. Or for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30. Sounds like we're getting ready to do a scripture memory thing. Matthew 11, verses 28 to 30. Come to me, all you who labor, who are burdened, and I'll give you rest. Do you remember when studying the, the clothing of the priests... That the priests who wore linen were not to sweat upon that linen because it was to give no indication that the service for the Lord was a burden. When we come to Jesus Christ who has accomplished all things for us that we might have salvation, that we might have life eternal. Doesn't mean that we don't serve the Lord, that we don't labor for Christ, that we don't strive as Paul taught us to you know to with all of our heart serve the Lord. 
But in coming to the Lord, realizing that when we work from God's salvation, we don't have to struggle. It's not a burden. The people who feel that they have to work to be saved, that's a burden. But that's not the gospel. So we get an understanding then of the difference of what the oracle, if they they say, oh, the oracle of the burden of the Lord. God didn't give that burden, you see. The same punishment of the Lord would come upon them because they were mocking the word of God. Now, look at Galatians chapter 6. It's Paul's words here, but, but I think they fit very, uh, very well in, in our understanding. Galatians 6, verses 6 to 10. Let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will... Of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will reap, or will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap, if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. But the point here is that God isn't mocked. You know, you can sit here, you can mock me if you want. It's fine. My burden would be, for, you know, upon you, but for you. But God's not mocked. Because whatever a man sows, that's what he's going to reap. You flow, when you sow to your flesh, the flesh will reap corruption. So to the Spirit. Will the Spirit reap life? So when they finally recognize the judgment of God, as they are surrounded by the Babylonians, they're going to be interested in what God is saying. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you, wouldn't you agree with me? Then the, when they finally recognize the judgment, when they finally see the Babylonian armies overwhelmingly positioned, against Jerusalem? Wouldn't you say that they're going to be interested in what God has to say now? Isn't that sad that that's the way it is with a lot of people? They won't listen to God right now, but you know, when they're in trouble, they start seeking. Folks, it's best to know God now and seek Him now, love Him now, serve Him now, and rejoice in Him now. They will not mock the Word of God now they're looking for a way out of this judgment but it's too late too little too late and it was that way for Jerusalem it was that way for Judah too late God's going to judge them by the words they speak they mock the word of God listen to the false prophets and thus they'll be judged for it by the way the word perverted in verse 36 y'all see that word there verse 36 For every man's word will be his oracle or burden, for you have perverted the words of the living God, the Lord of hosts, our God. 
That word perverted in verse 36 literally means overturned. Now listen carefully. It suggests that at almost every point, the prophets and the priests and the people overturned God's word. They overturned God's will and they overturned God's work on their behalf. They overturned it. As if it meant nothing to them. And thus, you shall say to the prophet, verse 37, What has the Lord answered you? And what has the Lord spoken? But since you say the oracle of the Lord, therefore thus says the Lord, because you say this word, the oracle of the Lord, and I have sent to you saying, do not say the oracle of the Lord, therefore behold, I even I will utterly forget you and forsake you. Isn't that a powerful statement by God? To prophets and priests? I will utterly forsake you, or forget you and forsake you and the city that I gave you and your fathers, and will cast you out of my presence. And I will bring an everlasting reproach upon you, and a perpetual shame which shall not be forgotten. Because of their actions, because of their mocking of the Lord and His Word, God was going to bring this heavy judgment upon them. You know, I'm always amazed at people that mock the Word of God. And even worse, teachers who mock, who mock God's Word. You know, they have no fear of God. No fear of God at all. And yet they should have fear. They should have fear. I find an interesting combination of words in Psalm 36. Would you turn there, please? Psalm 36, verse 1. I want you to notice how the psalmist begins. This is David, by the way. David begins this psalm, an oracle. Listen. An oracle within my heart. What is he saying? A burden within my heart concerning the transgression or the sins of the wicked. Notice what he says. There is no fear of God before his eyes. David's burden, in, in the, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, David says, I have a burden in my heart concerning the transgression of the wicked. There is no fear of God before their eyes. For he flatters himself in his own eyes when he finds out his iniquity. And when he hates, the words of his mouth are wickedness and deceit. Sound familiar? He has ceased to be wise and to do good. He devises wickedness on his bed. He sets himself in a way that is not good. He does not abhor evil. Instead of abhorring evil, to abhor something is to hate it with all of your heart. To hate evil. 
He doesn't abhor evil. He delights in evil and he abhors good. You know, it is a good incentive not to add or to take away from God's Word. Because everybody would cry, would cry out the oracle of the Lord, the burden of the Lord, when there wasn't that burden because God didn't give it to them. They were adding to God's Word. And it's a good incentive not to add or to take away from God's Word. And, and, and the reason is, God's not mocked. God is not mocked. He knows every word we've said. He knows every word we've done. He knows every word that we've used against God's Word. He knows every thought in our minds about what's going on even in this room right now. In Revelation 22, verses 18 and 19, though this is specific concerning the revelation and the the prophecy of the revelation, it says, For I testify to everyone, John says, For I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to these things, God will add to him plagues. The plagues that are written in this book. If anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. Those are very strong words. And these are, these are two of the last verses of the Bible. Revelation 22 is the last chapter of the Bible. There are about two or three more verses after this, but that's about it. And it's a strong admonition. And it's a strong admonition to the church. If anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues. If anyone takes away, God shall take away his part from the book of life. And that's strong language. Any way you cut it. I want to close with a thought that uh, D.A. Carson writes in the New Bible Commentary. He said, in terms of declaring God's word in the church of Christ and to an unbelieving world, the responsibility is awesome as for the prophets of old. The responsibility is to declare his whole counsel, never tailoring it for our own ends or deliberately making it more palatable palatable than it is. Do you understand now what he's saying? The responsibility of preaching and teaching the Word of God and the Gospel of Jesus Christ to the Church of Christ and to an unbelieving world. He says, the responsibility, just as it was for the prophets of old, is to declare His whole counsel, just as we've been studying in the book of Acts on Sunday morning, the last few weeks has been centered about around Paul preaching the gospel and do, doing so by giving the whole counsel, not shunning to declare the whole counsel of God. It is to preach and to teach and to deliver and to declare his whole counsel, never tailoring it for our own ends or deliberately making it more palatable than it is. In other words, well, we want to attract more people. Let's just give the nice parts of it. So it's more palatable, enjoyable, easier to take. That's not declaring the whole Word of God. 
That's taking away from. To do it for our own ends, to tailor it for our own ends is to add to it. To make it more palatable is to take away from it. There's the prophecy at the end of the book of Revelation. So I say to you, let's know the whole counsel of God's Word. And let's see how wonderfully powerful it is in our lives when we believe it. When we trust in God, when we trust in His Word, when we live for Him, when we live for His Word. Let's pray.